Welcome back to the second part of our third episode. We talked to John Nugent, owner and creator of the Diplomat here in Hong Kong. And and so a, bar, a successful bar is uh, loyal customers. What what makes success in a bar? Other than uh, making money, yeah. obviously. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Bottom line. Um, I mean, uh, I think it's relative. I mean, you need people to come in to pay for the rent, but. Uh, I think the idea is that if you are executing what you wanted to the and to a to the clientele that you were looking for, then I think you're a success. You know, um, you know, you need to make enough to put the lights on and keep the rent and pay your staff, and then hopefully have some change in your pocket. So, yeah, I mean, a huge part of it is retaining guests and you know creating that uh, and you know creating you know loyalty amongst uh, guests but you know we don't think of guests as customers right you know mm. 7-eleven has customers we have guests right so you know we we try to have that humble uh, approach to it if you will and we just want to make sure we're, we're throwing a party every night and people enjoy coming in here and you know having a good time absolutely now you do a lot of pop-ups and sort of collabs uh you did wagyu mafia i think was one yeah so i actually opened up wagyu mafia and uh And so, uh, luckily, you know, through just opening with them as their general manager at the beginning, you know, I, I obviously I can make drinks. And so we were able to put, uh, myself in Wagyu Mafia and, and do different collabs in different aspects. So it's been really exciting for me. I've got to work with some of the world's best chefs. Uh, um, we got to work with Thomas Perry from Pratt. Uh, who is one of the most accomplished chefs right now in London. Mm. Uh, and then uh, we got to have an incredible experience with uh, Albert Adria, uh, you know, uh, you know, famed of El Bulli, obviously, but now uh, runs tickets and, uh, you know, a handful of other bars. And it was such a cool experience working with him. Very nerve wracking. Uh, and, you know, just being able to put a cocktail in front of him and have him taste it and just, you know, getting that nod of approval. Uh, a very cool moment. And, you know, it's like, it's one of those things, you know, when you make it a sports analogy, you know, you might not see it on the stat sheet, but like, it was like a, a very cool moment for me to see that. Mm. So, and, and that's just like, it was very personal. What feedback did you get? Was it more insightful or was it just like, this is a pretty damn good thing. And that was like a one liner. Uh, yeah, it was just, no, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, English is a second language and, uh, but like, I mean, he speaks good English and, uh, But like, you know, he's he's focused on his food, right? He's focused on making his guys work and his guys are so intense and they're uh, they're great guys. And uh, um, they're so intense, you know, that three Michelin star mentality and and Spanish and just very like, you know, uh, you know, very hardcore and but very great guys. And so they were very uh, focused on what they were doing. And so, you know, who knows, maybe I was just being a, a, a pest to him, but he uh, just like. But just for my personal satisfaction, just like him tasting and going, good. Yeah, very nice. Very refreshing. Very good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> This will go well with my unbelievably expensive meal and unbelievably expensive Wagyu that Hisato presented. And okay. you know, So, yeah, it's good. How about ingredients? I mean, uh, we talked about spirits. You have a lot of uh, fruits and, and other ingredients that go into your uh, in your cocktail. So when we talk about flavors, sour, bitter, sweet, salty, umami, how do you navigate those? I mean, when you when you start. Because you take time to experiment, right? You yeah. kind of have your, your sandbox kind of hour where you come in early or something and you start a creative process. Where do yeah. you get your best ideas and how do you put it together? So basically, so to kind of put that in perspective, I guess I just go from my 
the training that I come from. So as a bartender, specifically on the East Coast, uh, you are bludgeoned with classic cocktails. You they 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 just shove them into your brain, and so by the end of a good long tenure at a well accomplished. A cocktail bar on the East Coast. I mean, I can't specifically say for the West Coast because I didn't come up bartending there. Um, uh, they just you get so many classics and and the beginning of like a good encyclopedia knowledge of contemporary classics. So classics that have been made in the last like twenty to twenty five years. And so I use that as my my basically my foundation for wherever I start. And so. Uh, and then we kind of, and then, you know, a very simple, simple, simple approach of, you know, we need to have a, we need to have a alcohol, uh, aspect to it. We need to have a sweet component to it. We need to have a bitter acidic component to it. And then, you know, we need to obviously involve water somehow. So, uh, and that's how we make our drinks. That's how I make every single drink, whether I use two or three sweet components and, and then one or two bitter components and then even like a double a, a dual base of spirit like there's always those kind of the, those it ideas. has to be sweet so it ha- well, i mean I, I i mean i get like take for instance a negroni right like a negroni nobody would necessarily classify as a sweet drink a lot of sugar in there but you know you have you have gin you have something that's literally called sweet vermouth so that's your sweet component you have your campari which is obviously quite a bit of sugar in there but also but very bitter and then, you know, you're obviously stirring it. So, you know, you, you can take that to a martini, a Manhattan, you know, th- those are the, th- that's literally like the definition of a cocktail, right? Hmm. And so we use those components and we try to always follow those kind of rules. And then we see where we can kind of bend them. Right. So yeah. any exciting, I mean, uh, most of the classic cocktails, uh, at least in the old days, were made in hotel bars for some reason. Yeah. Why, why is that? They had just a standard or they had a clientele or was there other bars just didn't serve cocktails? Or, I mean, how, how come well, hotel bars do so, have done so much better? Well, I think, um, you know, reading just, uh, you know, I'm trying to rack my brain through like uh, Dave Wondrich's book from Imbibe, Imbibe or uh, like even like a, a book called The Great Good Place. You know, the the local watering hole, if you will, was, yeah, I mean, it was more of a place just to meet up with friends and have a two fingers of whiskey and a beer and, and pretty simple, straightforward stuff. I think with uh, traveling, especially in yesteryear, and, you know, we're talking like 20s, 30s, 40s, all the way up until now, you know, traveling always involved a sense of elegance and cocktails were always involved in that. And so uh, I think that uh, that was a huge part of it. And uh uh, yeah, I mean, and there was always disposal. There's always disposable income in a hotel. You know, you, you rarely hear of a dive bar in a hotel unless now, especially <laughs> if it's like conceptually driven, which is kind of silly. But yeah, uh, I think that, that that would probably be the main focus of why, you know, I mean, even now, I mean, standalone bars, there has to be a sense like there's very few that don't have like a sense of like really like humble surroundings, if you will. Hmm. Uh as opposed to a hotel bar that, you know, like unlimited budgets and everything's top of the line and, uh, you know, and good for them, you know, yeah. if you work there, man. Hotel is my disagree on the unlimited budget, but I get your point. From a, from a, uh, <laughs> from a, a bar owner's standalone. perspective and, you know, I've, I've, 
well, I, and working in a hotel, I, uh, I am very familiar with that they have budgets, but I'm saying like for build outs and stuff like that, you know, sometimes you walk into a space and you're like, that's crazy. Hmm. So uh, I, I have no shade whatsoever. Like, uh, you know, I, I've walked into some amazing uh, hotel bars and been like, wow, like incredible. Do so. you pay a lot of attention to interior design and what's going on from that? That I think you have to. I mean, especially if you want to open up your own spot. I mean, um, uh, you have to look at to you know, you know, if you're looking at just a space very like superficially or like you know, it's like lighting, logistics, and just overall ambiance. Like, did they nail it? Did they not nail it? You know, there are so many pretty spaces that just don't make sense logistically. And there are so many spaces that are too bright, too dark, too, you know, everything. So uh, and then there's people who just absolutely nail it and they keep nailing it. So mm. good for them. Yeah, absolutely. So in in terms of um, we talk about pop ups a little bit in collabs. You also did in the US at least festivals and there's also competitions, right? How yeah. does that fit into the... Uh, there's a list of best bars in Asia, I guess, right? Yep. Um, is that important to get onto a list like that, or is that a nice byproduct? You oh. know, it, you can pat yourself in the back, or yeah, it's a it's a question to get in trouble on. Uh, so top, I mean, 50 best. If we were to ever get something like that, uh, it would be very very cool, and mm. we would appreciate it. And you know, yeah, definitely, you know, celebrate in our own way, and just be happy to receive it. You know. 50 Best has done a lot for bars, especially uh, bars and restaurants, especially in this last year. So uh, it's a uh, it's you know a list selected by our peers, and they uh, they, they they do a really good job at picking some of the best bars around. Uh, 50 Best bars and 50 Best uh, Asia's 50 Best as well. Yeah. Um, Tough now, I guess, with the traveling restrictions. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to judge right outside. Yeah, of but that being said, you know we shouldn't. Uh, I, you know, I, I tr we shouldn't be opening up bars for awards hmm. you know we should be opening up bars to lead you know cultural uh identity for our cities uh you know you know you're looking around the world and you're seeing you know really hard times on different restaurants and bars and a huge thing is that you know that they say about it is like you know the the food identity of a city really defines the culture of that city as well and so the same thing goes with you know bars you know Uh, if you were to take me to Milwaukee, the sense of identity of bars there is so much different Absolutely. than Tokyo, right? It's a part of the culture. It's a part of who they are. It's in their blood. And, and so when you open up a bar, uh, that's what you're trying to present. You're, you're, you're going, Hey, uh, this is, this is what I can add to our culture, uh, uh our community. And, And this is uh, and, and also I want to be a part of it. You know, whenever we have a new bar come to the neighborhood, you know, I, we don't view it as competition. Uh, obviously, you know, we're all trying to make our buck, but it's more like welcome to the neighborhood and thanks for being a part of it. And thanks for letting us be a part of it. Right. You got to help each other out maybe sometimes, too. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean yeah, we're I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I speak very highly of um, I mean, ourselves as bartenders and chefs. I mean, we are I mean, besides I mean. You can make a argument for artists, but, you know, we are the, the cultural innovators of communities, you know, and I, I speak, I, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And, yeah. and in Hong Kong, you have a pretty uh, broad following, right? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of money in this town, so to speak, that is not afraid of spending it on a good product. Yeah. 
which yeah. is not always said. You know, you couldn't say the same for other towns where maybe you don't have that sort of uh, yeah audience, right? I, yeah, I agree. yeah. I mean, we want to be applicable to everyone, and we want people to have different experiences, no matter who they are. So we we, we want to make we just want to make that place, yeah. Hmm. So we talked about the classic cocktails and sort of um, Asia's best bars. How does a classic cocktail become a classic? I mean, we heard of a pina colada or something was done in a hotel, a bar, as yeah. I mentioned earlier. But how does some cocktails make it to like global fame, basically? I mean, I think he, I, I think a good way to think about it now is like you have to look at the contemporary classics. You have to see a cocktail. First off, if you want your cocktail. Sorry, what are in the contemporary classics? So, uh, so. So like, let's say like a a Manhattan is a classic cocktail, obviously, right? I would say the prototypical contemporary classic, especially right now, uh, since they just opened, is the penicillin. Okay. It's a scotch-driven drink with honey and ginger, and then it has a a lemon and then a a a float of Laphroaig over the top of it. Mm. So it's spicy. It has that nice uh, sweetness from the honey, good amount of smoke. From not only the Laphroaig, but from the Scotch itself, and it's just a fun, good drink. Um, uh, that was invented by a guy named Sam Ross at a bar called Attaboy. Uh, at the time, I think he was at Milk and Honey, but uh, uh, now he owns a bar called Attaboy. Uh, so that is like a contemporary classic. It, 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 I think he made it. I don't know, around ten years ago. Uh, a gentleman named Giuseppe Gonzalez has made a variety of different contemporary classics: Trinidad Sour, Infante. Um, uh, Audrey Saunders did the Gin Gin Mule, uh, you know, Hot Charlotte, uh, and I think that was Murray Stenson. And, you know, and, and then there's just like uh, Joaquin Simo did the Naked and Famous uh, and a couple other drinks. Okay. So it goes on. Uh, some are more well-known. Bars, basically a lot of clientele. and Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, popular bartenders at popular bars when the boom of cocktails were starting to hit. And... They just hit the nail right on the head. They believed in that drink. It's easy to sell. Like, I mean, I mean, you tell somebody that, hey, this has got whiskey, lemon, and ginger, and they're like, sign me up. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, if you tell somebody that says gin, sugar, and mint in it with, you know, with ginger beer, sign me up. You know, it's like, yeah, keep there it coming. Go. Yeah. Cool. Um, so what, um, well, we talked about trends and how you shouldn't follow trends, but, um, you have your signature cocktails as well. I think it was a, was it a holy cow? Was it a, f- a very old cow? Very old cow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I can't, uh, I try to just keep pushing that down people's throats. I really like that drink. Uh, it's, um, kind of in between, a, a Rosita and, a uh, Brooklyn. So it's, uh, I'll just give the specs 45 ml of Mezcal, uh, 20 ml of Aperol, 15 of Punta Mes, which is a more of a bittersweet vermouth, and then uh, like 8 to 10 ml of uh, Maraschino with a couple dashes of Peychaud's stirred, served over uh, up or on a rock, and then uh, orange zest discard. All right. So if you have a good bar selection at home, you can do that on your own, right? Yeah, it shouldn't yeah. be too tricky. What kind of Mezcal would you, would you go for? When we first were making it, it is with Del Maguey, Del Maguey Vita. Uh, some people f- uh, find that to be a little spicy. I 
personally love it. And that was like, if, you know, once again, I always say like, you know, what I was raised on when I mean raised and coming up in the bar yep. industry, but like, so Delma Gay was very uh, prevalent then and we were using it constantly. And so I always use Delma Gay Vita, uh, but you can use their Chichi Kappa as well. And that's pretty good, even though the price point gets a little bit higher. Mm. Uh, but uh, Alapus, uh, really, really good. Um, their Balthazar is perfect for it as well. And yeah. Okay, so if somebody's uh, looking to create a culture, uh, you know, Oof. a bar, go out there on their own, uh, what would you, as a piece of advice, uh, anybody listening says like, hey, I, a lot of people have this dream, you know, at one point they want to run a bar or a restaurant. So in the case of a bar, cocktail bar, what, what would you tell them? My thing is what I always say to people, you know, funny enough, uh, uh, I make a really silly analogy, but I go, if they're like, yeah, we want to open up a bar and they're really excited about it and or like they're like, hey, we want to open up a restaurant. They're really excited about it. I go, great. You want to have a you, would you like to have a baby right now? And they're like either they say no or oh, oh, I already have a kid. Would you like another one? And they go they, if they say yes or if they say yes, then I say, well, then maybe you're in the right mindset to have a bar. If they say no, then it's like you are not ready. Like uh, and that that might mean you have the best concept in the world. Uh or and and you know you have these really thoughtful ideas it's just it's a it's a full-time job on top of a full-time job you know you uh you know there's a leak every day there is uh there you know there's an email from someone about something uh there's an event that's coming up there's uh and you know and these are some of these problems are good problems right but it, they're still, they still can add up, mm. you know, and then, you know, just the constant, um, you know, status of being relevant, you know, and, and striving for that and making sure you're providing a good bar experience every day. So staying relevant, uh, we talk about that. Um, is that through being out there collaborations with others or, I mean, not promotions obviously is not how you stay relevant. So yeah. is it, it's weird, you know, I mean, there's great restaurants and bars that, don't necessarily have this like huge global social clout, but uh, are busy day in and day out. And so I think you have to remember that the people that come in are the ones that you need to take care of. And then, but then with the, uh, the collabs and whatnot, that really provides opportunity in a variety of different ways. And I think it, be, it become, it can become very exciting for your bar if you do it correctly. But at the end of the day, it really matters about who walks in those doors and you have to make sure that they're happy by the time they leave or not happy, like extremely excited that they came. So it's a lot about consistency and training and all that stuff. That, yeah. Uh, I mean, fundamentals basically. yeah, I, uh, you know, if my staff ever hears this podcast, the, the, uh, you know, a thing that we constantly harp on is water. Uh, it's kind of like a thing where it doesn't matter who you are, where you're at. If you're an investor just stopping in, we just give you a glass of water. It's the least we can do. It's free. It's hot outside in Hong Kong eight months out of the year. Here's a water. And we can go from there. You know, it, you know, and even if people sometimes say we don't want any more water. Uh, we make jokes, you know, it's like, hey, it's free flow. It's OK. <laughs> you know, don't worry about it. So uh, and that's just part of it. Mm. OK. So what about a landlord? probably you get now over time you get approached by people that say like well we like your bar why don't you open one in our 
hotel or whatever, right? I mean, people mm-hmm. look for ideas or they don't have ideas and then they look for people with ideas, which could be you. Uh, any advice to them? Like, how do you get a, the right people into your project or into your, um, into your uh, development? I think, uh, I mean, you know, you have to have a good lawyer. <laughs> but uh, you have to, uh, I mean, yeah, you have to understand where that person from their perspective is coming from. Are they trying to like, for instance, like if they wanted to open up a, a diplomat in a hotel, you know, what exactly do they need from our end? Is it just like they want our name and and, you know, some of that we we would not be cool with and some of it maybe we would. But it's hard to say uh, unless we got officially approached. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you have to really look. We, we've come into a thing where if you are good at what you do, you can get approached by, by quite a few people. And uh and sometimes it's hard to say no to that that check in front of you but it could be a really big opportunity to fail in a certain way so uh you have to really look at a big picture standpoint and don't look at the next six months to a year look at your next two years with with this project it because you know if you're really thinking about it long term you know you're in the long game and you need to make sure that this is sustainable for quite some time Right. And the industry has evolved a little bit as well, right? As you say, the last 10, 20 years has probably, or 10 years, has, has seen a lot more attention towards cocktails and, and all that uh, globally, right? I mean, yeah. You know, it goes back to the thing we were saying. People just care about what they like, you know, about, I mean, what they like to drink, you know. I mean, there's plenty of people out there who, you know, just want to have uh, the cheapest, coldest lager and uh, a gin and tonic. And man, go get it. But yeah. Honestly, I mean, what's great about those drinks is you can get them anywhere. So get them anywhere. Yeah. But, you know, what makes these bars and restaurants special is that they're offering something that you can't get everywhere. You Absolutely. know, they're offering an opportunity that you can, you know, try something different, cool and weird and hopefully become iconic behind it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, we're coming wrapping up soon. Uh, but um, one question I did want to ask you in the next 10 years, what do you think will be the biggest change for your uh, you know, for the bar, bars globally or bars in Hong Kong? Next 10 years? Take it five. I mean, what's a, what change do you see coming you need to be ready for? Or, uh, well, I mean, I think you're, you are going to see this cultural, I mean, you're going to see this revolution of bars where it's, I mean, it's hard to say, but, you know, I'll, I'll use the example of, of penicillin our new neighbors um, penicillin that old space used to be a bar called Buddha lounge. And that place would go from, I think 1am in the morning to about seven or so. I mean, I, I was used, never there. So. I used to wake up at like 10am sometimes on a Sunday and I'd walk by it and they were still going. Yeah. And now it is a sustainable closed loop bar with a fermenting for a fermentation room. Hmm. So if that is one indication of where things are headed, like, I think that's, uh, I think that's what you're going to see, you know, for good and for bad, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of really, really thought out driven concepts and your, or concepts that people are like, this, this can work and they don't. But, uh, and I think that's the direction you're going to start seeing stuff. Um, for me, for us, I think we're, you know, 
we, we're going to keep seeing these trends, but we're going to kind of go by the beat of our own drum. Uh, you know, I, I honestly think if you walk into our bar, people don't recognize this as anywhere else. Uh, uh, you, you can tell it has classic features, but it is a bar all its own. And we're really proud of that. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, so I think you're going to just start seeing those type of really thoughtful concepts. I mean, you know, you can just pick all these bars out that actually had bars in it before that were, where you went like, look at Jay with Koa, like the bar before that was kind of like this weird pseudo French bar. And those guys were really nice. Uh, and then bar and then Jay took that space and just made it into this mezcal haven. Hmm. And it's so thoughtfully concept, you know, so thoughtfully thought out and, um, thoughtfully thought out, uh, but like really just, just conceptualized beautifully. And just from the moment you walk in to the time you sit down, it's really, really good. And he's done a spectacular job and he deserves everything. So, I mean, I think you're going to see these places where. People were like, hey, let's open this. This would be cool to like really putting pen down to paper and really thinking out the whole space from like entering to sitting. And, and, and there's more talent out there now as well. I guess. Yeah. Like, the experience. And- yeah. And I think you're going to see that from bartender driven bars. You know, if I can, you know, if if, if this gets out to, uh, you know, the world, you know, when this gets out to the world, you know, my, my biggest thing is if you see a talented bartender putting in the work day in and day out. His it's name I, is John Nugent. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, like give them the tools and the money. And if they fail, they fail. But like you are more than likely going to get a thoughtful concept and a thoughtful bar out of it. Um, not everyone can succeed. Obviously, the statistics show that. But I would say, you know, instead of just having a bunch of buddies come together and be like, we should open this type of bar, get somebody who's really good at what they do. And that is kind of an underdog and has some creativity and let him and or especially her an opportunity uh, to open up something for you. And I think that's the other trend, especially in Asia. I think female driven uh, bars and female driven concepts uh, are are and will and should start taking over. So you mentioned bit. the Pontiac is one, obviously, and then there's um. We have May Chow. Yeah. You have the Pontiac, uh, super super underdog uh, of a lady. Anne Sophie runs the Soho House Bar Program. I mean, that's a beast, and she is really really good. And and then there's other. I mean, uh, Holly Graham writes for uh, uh, Drink Magazine, and she she's kind of like a, a mover and shaker about town. And you know, uh, if something in the drink world is happening, uh. Not to say, you know, I'm going to probably give her a big head if she hears this, but like it kind of has to go through her uh, in Hong Kong in some aspects. So uh, at least on the international stage for in some aspects. So she's very much a part of the uh, drink culture. And uh, so she really helps with a lot of what we do. And uh, and so and she gives me grief. It's pretty funny, you know, about like not like, uh, you know, making sure if I'm a part of something that other uh you know that other female bartenders are a part of and she's right and uh and we try to yeah i mean so i think you're going to see a lot of that as well uh you know i think uh the future is female in that aspect so yeah. good for her, good for them so anybody going into the into the trade of uh, becoming a bartender bar operator owner what do you expect long hours little pay that sort of and great moments and a lot of fun 
Yeah, I mean, uh, no matter what profession you get into, if you were looking to getting paid within like a year or two, like you're probably not going to succeed. Like whether that be a lawyer, or a, you know, maybe even a, like a surgeon, right? Like, I mean, how many years of school and BS do you have to go through before you can actually like do something meaningful? Chop somebody up, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? And get paid for it yeah. well. So uh, the same goes with bartending. Yeah, I mean. It's kind of like this switch that you never turn off. Yeah, you can go, you know, have a day off and, you know, have a break for yourself. But, you know, it's kind of like never turning that switch off, you know, yeah, you like, it, right? yeah, you, you kind of have to be embedded into it. And it gets frustrating because you want to take a moment for yourself. But that but then there is that addictive quality where it's just like you can't get away from it. You, you, you jones for it. I mean, if it fires you up, I mean, you know, you have to remember that fire when you hate it. Yeah. All right, guys. This is John Nugent, uh, owner-operator of The Diplomat, a man who lives and breathes bar. <laughs> I guess uh, fantastic to have you. Thanks a ton. Uh, your Instagram handle is... Uh, uh, at J, uh, P, uh, P as in Paul Nuge, N-U-G-E. N-U-G-E. So uh, awesome. Thanks so much for having me here in the social club at The Diplomat. Thanks for being here. And, and thanks uh, for having a beer with me. Cheers, cheers to that. Yeah. yeah. It's our own beer, Diplomat American Pale. <laughs> Peace. Cheers, man. Thank All right. you. Thank Cheers. you, John. All right. Thank you guys for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to get on our website, drop us an email, find us on social media, Instagram, anywhere you can find. We'd love to hear from you. So go to our website, made-in.asia, or find us on Instagram or our YouTube channel. Thanks for following.